When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hale Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. Thanks for hanging out. Welcome to it. It's a Thursday. It's Hale Varsity Radio. We're presented by Currency for all your equipment financing needs. Go Currency. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal. Loaded up show. We'll spend time with Brandon Vogel from HaleVarsity.com and Magazine. Get his thoughts on, well, a weekend of college football. Uh, also, Nebraska volleyball got the brooms out for but Purdue, uh, impressive as always with John Cook in Nebraska. So we'll uh, spend some time on college football this first hour, dive into some NFL. In hour two, Jeremiah Searles going to be with us, former Husker and NFLer, and also Danny Burke from VEASAN Sports Network. We'll kick off hour two with the uh, special edition of Bill Dolman, uh, the pride of Fairbury, get his take on, uh, dare I say it again, metrics, some coaching names that are uh, trending on Twitter associated with Nebraska and uh, just the uh, the week ahead, the finish to the year. Numbers to get in can join us as always. Do so at 466-3776-466-3776. can dial up 800-825-5865 where you hear us around the state of Nebraska. Watch us and comment and contribute that way on StreamYard. Uh, able to do so on a couple of different Twitter handles, Hale Varsity Radio's Twitter handle at HVarsity Radio or at ESPN Lincoln, and then also ESPN Lincoln Facebook. Our Twitter, Chris Schmidt at Schmidt underscore radio, and find Elijah his is at uh, at, at Herbal Essence for Elijah Herbal. So, uh, Elijah, you know, it's funny with the, the way this week is gone. You go from Purdue to some smoke out there with uh, truth and rumor on, you know, is, is, is Trev, how far advanced is he in this coaching search? I, th- I like what Mitch Sherman said earlier in the week where, you know, you've had X number of weeks to be at it. Uh, you're, you're on the yellow brick road. How far towards the end are you? Or are you because you still got a guy as your interim that's doing a heck of a job. So there's that discussion point. Uh, I've gotten a kick out of the Lane Kiffin uh, artwork that has him wearing Nebraska gear instead of Old Miss gear today on social media. Uh, a few more names that have come up that are names that you know and you'd have a reaction to, but they're the, man, it's a name nobody's thinking of. It's a... and. You know, Rick Neuheisel's like, well, they've got 10 candidates and one guy's been. So you go back to his his take yesterday on things. Uh, that's where we'll go. Big weekend for Nebraska recruiting wise locally. 
Lincoln East standout Malachi Coleman makes his announcement on Saturday where he's going to go. I think he'll be uh, wearing red, uh, but he's been just a phenomenal player to watch and cover uh, at Lincoln East over his time. So let's get into some of these names, some smoke. What do you believe uh, when it comes to uh, some of these names that are floating out there? What does Lane Kiffin do for you? We talked about the Lane train about uh, a month ago or so, and that's been met with some excitement. That's been been met with some caution. And I just, I look at Lane Kiffin, you know, he's going on four years and it seems like 40 at Ole Miss. And what he took over was good. He has continued to enhance. They've been to some big-time bowl games. They've been knocking on that door. They've got a big showdown with Alabama. They get to host Bama here in a couple of weeks. You want to talk about a schedule for, for Saban, you go, you go from Tennessee to the Pirate and Mike Leach, and then, oh yeah, here's Ole Miss looming for you, and you still got LSU to deal with, and then your hated rival in Auburn. So I look at Lane Kiffin, and Lane Kiffin, to me, if he ever leaves and whenever he leaves Ole Miss, he's had enough rehab time post-Saban and Florida Atlantic, then Ole Miss, to, to either go back to the NFL or command a job that's, that's easier to win at, that you're more appreciated at. I don't think they're going to run Lane Kiffin out of, ta- out of town for a 6-6 six and six season at Ole Miss. There might be some grumblings, but I think it's a safe spot to be appreciated, and I think that's important to coaches. Lane's had too much turmoil in his career with the one-and-done at Tennessee, the tarmac firing at USC, getting whacked by Al Davis – like it's a Goodfellas scene. That's two days in a row we've had the uh, the Joe uh, Pesci Goodfellas walking into the poker room. Uh oh, closed casket. I I think Lane, if he's ever going to ditch Ole Miss, he's got a good thing. He's got a good recruiting base. He makes a ton of money. NIL's very real. It was probably very real before NIL existed at Ole Miss. You took what you freeze left, and you're able to go get elite ball players. And no one's mad at you for not beating Bama. Uh, no one, they want it to happen eventually, but no one's mad at you for finishing second in the SEC West. Brutal division. Mississippi State's good. Ole Miss needs to be in contention. Auburn's going to be the worst team in that division. They played for a national championship less than a decade ago. LSU's not far removed from a title. They're in transition. You finish fourth in that league, you've got a top 20 football team. But what's good enough versus jumping to a spot like, what are some of the elite jobs? Let's talk fit. And I know you've got Monty Kiffin, you've got the the history in Nebraska, you've got Lane Kiffin being born in Lincoln, grew up in Minneapolis, right, when his dad was the D coordinator for the Vikings for so many years before he went down to Tampa. I just don't see it meshing. I think Lane Kiffin could come to Lincoln and do a nice job offensively. If you can win ball games in the SEC, you understand offensive and defensive line play because you're good at it. He's been cranking out 10, 9, 10 wins. I don't think he's dipped ever. I don't think he's ever dipped below 9. 
I just don't get it. And this all started, there's a Twitter handle that put a, uh, a flight from Oxford, right? It was Oxford to Lincoln. Sunday? Is that what I sent you? Sunday, yeah. What do you believe? And how does Lane Kiffin grab you? Four six six three seven seven six. I don't think Lane's likely. Uh, and, and I think if you're going to look at Lane, let's see how Mickey's year ends up. And I know Lane's got more history and he's more seasoned because he's been a head coach two different times in the SEC and the NFL and a, and a, and a heck of a good uh, OC that, that really transformed Alabama with the mobile quarterback phase. He'd do well. I just don't know that Lincoln's a landing spot for him. You freeze. I mean, he's a guy everybody's wanted, but there's been a giant roadblock for you freeze. Uh, and here's the name I really dig. And I did a little bit of curb kicking because his name's come up a, a bit. I mean, it's been mentioned by some of the national writers, but it's it's too much of a reach. And how about Mike Gundy? Mm. Mike Gundy's hired really well. You've seen Oklahoma State go from a team that's had to, that's always outscored people to a guy that's made hires where his defense has been elite in a league that's shifted more defensively. You're still going to have your shootouts in the Big 12, but Oklahoma State and Baylor have been two defenses along with TCU that have been pretty good at holding teams down. And question out there, if you talk to folks in Oklahoma, why would would Gundy leave uh, for the Big Ten in Nebraska? Uh, he's Now, the thing that, that Gundy has that is as good or better than many of his peers in college football is it's been deemed to me the all-time leverage guy in Jimmy Sexton. Uh, there's been times in the last 10 to 12 years Sexton's stepped up, renegotiated every chance, and Gundy's good about every four, five, six years and having a 12 and one season and getting paid and getting paid. Personality-wise, he's pretty cocky, and you know what? He has a chance to, to, to put it to Oklahoma again. But overall, he's always been the little brother at the little brother school. Oklahoma's leaving at some point. He's three and 18. Make that three. He's, he's, he's three and in, in, uh, in 15 all time. Three and 15 all time. 18 years at Oklahoma State. But, man, he's gotten NFL ball players. He's getting a quarterback. He's got a quarterback coming down to play ball for him from Gretna. And, and he's had high-level defense. And uh, I just – I think the, the higher it, – it's not a prerequisite, but whoever it is or whoever stays, right, we can talk Mickey, there's the understanding that, that Trev is the boss and, and Gundy's personality – could uh, could be a, a problem. You wouldn't want to not hire a guy as good and as proven as Gundy. But again, to me, the Big 12 and Big 10, I think you got to have somebody with Big 10 roots. At some point, they've coached, they've played, they get what the Big Ten's all about. Uh, the Big 10 is still meat and potatoes, bad weather in November. It's stopping the run. It's running the football. Gundy's teams have shifted towards that. They've been able to be... 
high flying through the air or ground and pound with with uh, with their their tailback Chuba a couple three years ago. They they adapt. They get some great dude that no one's heard of to of all places Stillwater, and they kill it to the tune of ten and three. At worst, at worst, uh, they haven't beaten their rival, and he's recruited really well because he's so close to Texas, and he's not typically in that conversation of top five or top ten recruiting classes, like Oklahoma, like Texas. He's gone the route like Texas Tech under Leach or Oklahoma State. They find their niche. They find their fit. To me, that's appealing, right? Ole Miss is winning with four- and five-star guys. At least they were with you, Freeze, and Lane's not drifted off from that approach at all. He's gotten been able to get high-level talent down there because of the atmosphere and um, the scenery, It'll miss Oklahoma State. They go mine Texas. They find ball players, and they get good on the lines of scrimmage. End of discussion. So, both of those names I think would be good in Lincoln. I don't know that they'd fit in Lincoln, but if they would say yes, I don't think you'd turn them down either. I'm talking out of every side of my mouth. Forgive me, but I just think there's there's other options out there. Uh, one last name. I'm going to throw this line in the water. It's probably too old. He has health concerns, but man, he did an awesome job when he was at Minnesota. Jerry Kill. Uncle Jerry's just too long in the tooth, isn't he? Mm, I, the, the health concerns and, and, are, are well, what worries me. Listen, he's good enough to be at a better spot than New Mexico State. But he's at New Mexico State for a reason. Well, I mean, like right? the, the stress that's going to come around a, a rebuild like Nebraska with the immediate attention Nebraska gets, like, it's as much stress as being U.S. president trying to rebuild Nebraska right now. Is that something Jerry Kill wants? And I don't know. And I'm going to go through all four of your names here and just break down just, what, what I see. You're just going to absolutely I'm a st- torch I'm a- them. And you go for it. But listen, we, we asked um, Bill Bender about Winningham. We asked him about Shaw. We asked him about Bielema. We asked, we asked him about Fitz. Those are two Big Ten brethren names that you'd love to take here in Lincoln if the opportunity was there, and then two ground-and-pound, rough-and-tumble guys uh, out of the Pac-12. Yes, those are the two schools that are tough and physical in the Pac-12. I'm going to start with Lane Kiffin, and I'm just going to say, I don't think the, the culture fit works. It doesn't make much sense for me from Nebraska's point of view and from Lane Kiffin's point of view. I don't think he's in any rush to get out of Ole Miss. I think he can he can hold his, his strong hand and wait for a job like, say, Auburn. I, I think Auburn's a step up from Ole Miss that he would go to, or even play the longer game, I think you might see the writing on the wall with Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M. Some A&M fans are starting to get unhappy with Jimbo Fisher with how good those recruiting classes have been. You would think that the results would start translating the field, and they haven't. So maybe Texas A&M opens up. I think that's a great fit for a guy like Lane Kiffin. I'm going to move on to Gundy and just say, are are you willing to leave? If I'm A&M, I go get Gundy. But with Gundy, Texas A&M makes sense. But I look at that and I go, are you you willing to leave a conference where more than likely you're probably going to be the big dog? You and Baylor. You're going to be the big dog here in a second, and you've been there for however many years. What, what's the reason for leaving? I'm going to lump him in with a guy like uh, Kyle Whittingham from Utah, where it's just, yeah, it's a great coach, but I don't necessarily see the appeal of leaving right now whenever you've already built something great and you can be the big dog in your conference in two years. And if college football playoff expansion happens, you have a pretty good route to the college football playoff. I understand wanting to, to get to one of those quote-unquote big jobs for your attire, but right now with where Nebraska's at, I don't think that's the right opportunity for those two guys. No, it, it, you, you are you are right with happiness and winning and appreciation, and you got a really good thing. Why 
take on a potential headache, uh, even if it is Nebraska, maybe you maybe you have a, a fondness or an affinity for Nebraska. And, and both those guys, Whittingham and, and Gundy, can they recruit the Midwest? I think they, yeah. I think you, I think you they think can. they can, but, they, but it's not like it's not like a proven commodity. Do they have somebody they can get to recruit the Midwest? Is the question. That's I mean yeah. that's that's the biggest thing. Can you go get dudes that can fill out a coaching staff and and go rock and roll in the five hundred mile radius? Can you go get Colorado? Can you go get Kansas? Can you do Iowa? Can you do South Dakota? Can you hit Kansas City uh, and and do well there? I mean Nebraska's uh, tripled their efforts in this 500-mile radius here for this upcoming recruiting class, which is great to see. But uh, too many times here, uh, Nebraska has had a lot of attrition with kids out on the coast, be it California or Florida, that haven't stayed. And not only with the Midwest, it's not only recruiting, it's also that talent evaluation. Can you look past the recruiting sites? There's some great talent around the Midwest that doesn't get caught up in recruiting sites because they're not from one of those hotbed states. Very fair. Uh, We'll get to Brandon Vogel on the way with Hale Varsity. Pardon the interruption, but I'd like to save you some money. I'm Brandon Vogel, Managing Editor of Hale Varsity, and I wanted to offer listeners of this podcast $10 off the price of an annual subscription. That means that you can get everything we produce, 10 issues of our monthly magazine, our annual football yearbook, and all of the premium content we produce at HaleVarsity.com. Just go to HaleVarsity.com slash subscribe and enter the promo code GBR for $10 off a full year of Hale Varsity. That's hailvarsity.com slash subscribe, promo code GBR. And now, and now, back to Hail Varsity Radio. Thanks for hanging out. It's Hail Varsity. We're presented by Currency. Searles is on the way here in about uh, one hour. Bill Dolman going to join us as well. We say hi to managing editor with HaleVarsity.com and Magazine, and find him on Twitter at Brandon L. Vogel. Get his book with John Cook, Dream Like a Champion. Vogues is hunkered down in his football office. Vogues, how's the bye week been? Thanks for a few minutes. It's been it's been pretty good. Um, you know, plenty, plenty to work on going forward. Got that October issue out on Monday, so if you're a subscriber, hopefully that's arriving in your mailbox has already arrived or is arriving shortly um tackled some some big husker what ifs which is a part two of a story we did five years ago and uh yeah just kind of gearing up for when nebraska football returns to the field without divulging state secrets what if i i love this i I want to go to one of the what-ifs that was on the cover of the new issue in 1982, right? 1982, Penn State, a lot of fumbles in that game for both teams, but Nebraska's got the lead. Blackledge in the uh, ever-moving sideline did in Nebraska on fourth and six, and then the trap in the end zone. Uh, prevented Nebraska and Coach Tio from his first championship. Uh, Kenny Calhoun followed suit with a deflected two-point conversion a season later, and uh, Nebraska played for a national championship 81, prevented in 82, and uh, lost it in 83, or, or just didn't make one more play in 83. <sighs> 
I don't know, based on urban legend, even if there's instant replay, Vogues, that Nebraska still gets either of those calls in 1982. Yeah, that's a, that's a fair question. Uh, the the quote-unquote is how I feel about it as well, uh, is probably the closer of the two. The, the sideline catch... <laughs> Um, that was awful. You know, they they made T-shirts about. Yeah, I mean, anybody who watches that now is like, oh, clearly that's out of bounds. Even just like watching it real time. He's a um, foot. He's a foot. You need one foot in college football. He's a foot with the the, the right leg. I mean, he's past the chain gang. <laughs> yeah, he, he 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 was running into the cheerleaders. That's a late hit, baby. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, so that one. Yeah, I mean, basically, Nebraska plays for a national title that year. If that specific call gets called back, which is you know a, a big enough what if on itself, but you think about kind of broader. Like, what does that change about the Tom Osborne era? And and, I, and honestly, like, it changes a lot. Um, well, assuming Nebraska would go on to win a national title in 1982. Uh, because for how long after that did we have the narrative of, like, oh, Nebraska's really good, like, they're perennial top 10, but they just can't get over the hump. You wait until 1994 to get over that hump. But it also changes things from... The, the 1983 season where so much, I think, in retrospect of Tom Osborne's era is defined by the decision to go for two. Mm. So if you've already got a national title at that point, does that one change that decision? But two, it all it, all, it definitely changes the magnitude of that decision. You know, I he still goes for two. Next time we talk to him, we'll say, hey, uh, hypothetically. Had you not gotten hosed in Happy Valley, uh, you'd still have gone for two uh, against Miami. And T.O. wanted to beat Captain Kangaroo. All right. Not just to cap off an undefeated season and those seniors, but the fact that dude was in a helicopter and landed at midfield for his own press conference. Right. A little showmanship there from... From old Howard. Well, what, what I wonder now is with, with those coaches, you always see them up in the box or even on the sideline with like that little analytics cheat sheet. I wonder what that analytics cheat sheet would say about going for two nowadays with, with the game on the line like that. Oh, yeah, you, that's you that's, kick that's, it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's an interesting one because like those analytics cheat sheets would not have had the like, well, if you just kick it and tie, which is something people are somewhat used to in 1983. Uh, the votes are probably going to go your way, um, but it would be it would be interesting to to know like what the kind of in a very in a vacuum sense like this is the most strategically optimal way to do this because like our discussion about that now our discussion about it then um, <clears throat> is is totally removed from that so so it's an interesting question and to Chris's point I also I, I agree like it wasn't just Nebraska versus upstart Miami it was a a clash of cultures and like here's how I think about things and here's how I do things and here's how Howard Howard Schnellenberger thinks about things and does things and that's fine like as you saw uh, you can win doing it both ways but at some point, if you're Tom Osborne, I think the 
impetus to to take a a kind of moral is the wrong word but it's close <laughs> to it take a moral stance of like here's how i think this should be done uh is probably too strong T.O. would have gone for three if he could have, right? Because two <laughs> wasn't enough. And that goes back, presumably, to Schnellenberger and, and being a Bama assistant under, under, under the Bear and all those times Devaney and Osborne got to go take on Bear in the Sugar Bowl. Again, similar situation where you're right there for a national championship. They should have just put in overtime uh, starting in, in the 1970s. Uh, we, it, it would have been it would have been fine. Brandon Vogel's with us from HailVarsity.com and magazine. Cooper said this is a complete offshoot. But while we're talking overtime, Vogels, do you think that that college football should go towards an NFL system of of overtime, or do you think the other way around, NFL should go to a college system? I of love overtime? the NFL college OT because I've been say, saying for a long time it doesn't make much sense to have the two highest levels of the game play two different overtimes. I, I think one has it right, but I'm just not college sure has it is. right. I love college. I, I like everything about college except that new stupid two point rule. Yeah, where it's we Give me more 74-72. Give me the overs. <laughs> uh, um, I, I, I would like, I love college football and watch as much college football as I can, but I need my own analytics cheat sheet each time there a game goes to overtime to just be like, oh, wait, how does this work again? Like, when do you have to go for two? And when does it start becoming only two-point conversions? Um so that part of it's not ideal from the college perspective. That said, uh, the the old way, which was really borrowed from high school, um, and I believe I think the state of Kansas was the first high school <laughs> level to you start on your twenty five. This is this is what happens, and you've got that. Um, I prefer that because it's actional only, which might be the argument against it overall. Because with the NFL method, it's like, okay, we couldn't settle this in four quarters. We're just going to play more football. Um, But I don't know. As a soccer fan who's made peace with penalty kicks, which again (laughs) is, is, is a way to settle a game that isn't really true to the game itself. uh, I think I, I think I favor college college's method. But it needs a couple of tweaks. Well, watching the most recent Broncos overtimes games, I would love to have some sort of change there because that's been painful. And Elijah even watched it through a cracked TV screen, which is even more <laughs> impressive. Vogues, Lane Kiffin, smoke around Lane, at least through the Twitter trending discussion point of uh, a flight from Oxford to Lincoln. What's your take on Lane? Uh, fit and doability. Could he win in the Big Ten? Yeah, it's a it's an interesting one, and and I think this is one where you know we we look at the SEC and the Big Ten as heavyweights in college football right now, and the style of play isn't that much different. So I think there's always going to be a natural hesitancy to somebody coming to the SEC and winning with offense first, because. And, and like no matter what 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 football you're talking about, in my mind, it's really about line play mm-hmm. and how good can that be. Um, and that's true, but you don't have to be defense first. And, and I think that's what Lane Kiffin is showing a little bit at Ole Miss. Um, so for that reason, I think he could succeed in the Big Ten. Would it feel like a curveball? Would it feel a little wacky? Yeah, it would. 
and I think he's fine with that. So it's it's interesting because he's one of those coaches that I've kind of like put off to the side as yeah. I you know drill down. Consider, <laughs> yeah, consider fits for Nebraska and like all of this stuff. Not not just fits for me like personally, but fits of is this somebody they would realistically pursue and. With Ole Miss at seven and zero, I I don't see how you couldn't if you could have that conversation with him, at least see you know in in my view Lane Kiffin really turned a corner from that Alabama stint where he got a lot really fast really early in his career and he was a little bit off putting um, and he's you know he hasn't changed he's turned that into a brand at Ole Miss. Um, but I, I do think he has modified some some important things um, and, and understands what it takes to, to win at this level. And you, you look at Ole Miss, I think they've had back-to-back winning seasons in the SEC once since conferences ex- the conference expanded in 1990. He's already had two. Now, one of those was a pandemic year, but at 7-0, and it seems likely they're about to add their third one. And that's that's pretty tough to ignore. He, he's been at worst top 20. At best, he's been hovering around that top 10, top 15. Vogues, I, I'm up against it. I have a minute. I need to ask you about another name, and I need to ask you about Nebraska volleyball. Can we get a little bit of five minutes on the other side? Is that okay with you? Yeah, absolutely. Vogues is like, no, computer's breaking up. Can't do it. No. <laughs> God love him for uh, for his patience. Brandon Vogel continues with us. We are going to check in with Bill Dolman as he is making a roadie back to uh, Donkey Land. Uh, we will catch him before he uh, crosses the border. We will not ask what's in his trunk next Monday when he comes back. Reminder for you to buckle up. Use your seatbelt. It saves lives and it prevents injuries, but only if properly worn. Buckle up. This message from the Nebraska Department of Highway Safety Office. Uh, your reaction can email in Chris at HaleVarsity.com or find us on Twitter. A lot of Twitter discussion about Lane Kiffin. What do you think? The old Lane train. Choo-choo, baby. You think that could work? Shut up, Schmidt. It's Mickey's team. Totally hear you. He's doing a hell of a good job. More with Brandon Vogel. We continue. Hail Varsity presented by Currency. And now. And now. Back to Hail Varsity Radio. We're doing some overtime with Brandon Vogel from HailVarsity.com and Magazine. Uh, our friends uh, under the Herd at umbrella, uh, Go Big Redcast, have explained this flight from, from Oxford to Scott's Bluff, and I believe it was Redcast Rob. Well, yeah, it, it, it seems that the flight went, it started in Denver, that's where it originated mm-hmm. from, and then stopped in Scott's Bluff, and then stopped in Lincoln, and then stopped in Oxford, and then went to Jackson, Mississippi, and then came back following the same route. Yeah, sure. So could this be a, a recruiting visit? Could it be a recruiting visit where you stopped and talked with, with Lane Kiffin? There, there's a lot of different things that could be happening. I mean... Brandon Vogel is a proud Western Nebraska man. Uh, the I-80 preview is his podcast you need to listen to. I mean, maybe, you, maybe Lane Kiffin's looking for homes in Scott's Bluff. Well, it's God's country. <laughs> I mean, Western Nebraska is phenomenal. I love it. Vogues, anyone, you? I mean, it's probably a little PTSD for Lane, but can, can you call anyone on the tarmac? Uh, no, maybe, maybe when it stopped in Scott's Bluff because... 
far out west in Nebraska. And <clears throat> inevitably, I know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody. It's just a matter <laughs> of figuring out figuring out the path mm-hmm. of, of where to get there to get to the, the person who knows something. But that is a uh, that's a that's a surprising flight path. I will say that. Play around a golf out in Scotts Bluff, hit Ole's, and uh, stop by the Brandon Vogel home. Well, the, the way I'm seeing it, though, is you have a, a commit from Scotts Bluff and Brock Knudsen, so mm-hmm. it does not make sense that you're stopping or maybe even picking him up and taking him down to Mississippi to go visit another recruit, and that seems a little crazy to do on a Sunday, but I, I don't know. The, the, the stop in Scotts Bluff, considering you have a commit there, makes me think this is some sort of recruiting. It is. You're recruiting the next head coach. <laughs> Vogue's, uh, let's let's – Let's go diva here. All right. You're going to sit down and you're going to meet face to face with your AD. What, what outlandish spot in the world would you pick? It was a bar that Hemingway used to drink at. That's where the moose went to get the pirate. Uh, T.O. asked uh, McBride how he likes his eggs. They had a coach's convention. Let's go to Denny's. <laughs> okay. On a napkin, it's agreed to. It was the Denny's and whatever town the coaches' convention was being held on, held in in '76. Where would you pick? Where would, where would Brandon Vogel want to meet secretly? Hmm. Um. Well, <laughs> speaking of Scotts Bluff, it's only <laughs> sixty miles away. I would, I would probably choose even if I were Lane Kiffin and worked at Ole Miss full time. But I was going to take this meeting, but uh, was still from Hemingford, Nebraska, where I am from. I'd probably choose there because that's not going to end up a lot of people's radar. You can fly to Scotts Bluff. There are no direct flights from Scotts Bluff to Hemingford. Breaking news: uh, <laughs> no, no airport in Hemingford. Uh, you can maybe hitch on with a crop duster to get over there, but. I'm thinking anywhere in the old hometown would be pretty safe. And symbolically, you know, if I were a, a football coach poised to make between probably six and seven million dollars a football a year, uh, I would uh, that that's where I would choose. I would want to sign that contract or at least agree to it verbally there. Well, I mean, I'm sure we'll get to volleyball here in a second. But I'm sure we'll talk to Bill Dolman. We'll ask him the same question. I have a feeling he's going to say you got to go somewhere where nobody follows college football and therefore you go meet him in Boulder, Colorado. Yeah, Bill will come off the top rope with two steel chairs uh, on on that one. Uh, you know what? I would I would call Seth and Gregor's. We got a one a.m. meeting at the bar. We need to, <laughs> the bar, the bar, the bar, the bar. <laughs> That's perfect for Lane Kiffin. He'd love that. He'd, he'd buy all around, dude. <laughs> Who's this old guy in a visor? Shut up. Keep your eyes <laughs> towards the ground. Vogue's a sweep. The brooms were out. Husker volleyball. Who? Who can challenge Coach Cook and crew? Well, we might find out in, uh, in about six days. They've got the and uh, before that, they've got a road trip to Illinois, which you know, with the familiarity of Chris Thomas mm-hmm. and the, the head coach of Illinois, there, you always know that they're probably going to put up <clears throat> as good a challenge as, as anybody. But y- you look at this, and you know. Nebraska is just kind of rolled from that first loss against Stanford, still only a game up in the loss column over Ohio State and Wisconsin, which Nebraska has already beaten Ohio State once. 
I think it still comes down to we'll, we'll find out a lot. I think on that that next Wednesday road trip to Wisconsin, and the Huskers see the Badgers again after that. But it's you know at this point at, at risk of sounding foolish here on October twentieth. But by the time we get to the end of the season, like things are looking pretty good mm. for for Nebraska volleyball, and it's going to be a tough conference. Um, and you know, you go through a conference as tough as the Big Ten, the NCAA tournament's going to be its own separate challenge. So a lot can happen. It only takes one match to to end your season. But so far, uh, so good for Nebraska, despite a lot of lineup changes. This is, in all sincerity, a mature question I'm asking. But with Wisconsin's off-the-field issue, do you see that derailing uh, their their focus? No, I don't think so. I mean, they they built a really strong program there. Um, for as good as Nebraska has been over the last three, four years, like it's pretty hard not to give the title of best team in the best volleyball conference to Wisconsin um, over that stretch. So I think until until I see more, until I see a reason to to doubt they'll be able to come through. Um, it's it's just it's hard not to go with the Badgers and and Nebraska is right there. Nebraska is has a better record. I, it has arguably played better throughout the season, which it should have. I mean, Wisconsin lost some really really big players from a year ago, and that being the case, uh, you know, Nebraska started where it started in all of the preseason polls. So, but you still got to go there. You still got to beat them, and it's been a while since the Huskers have done that. 90 seconds to, to, to wrap up how we started, and that was coaching search. Gundy. How does Gundy grab you real quick? Pretty tough to argue with. Um, you know, the fit doesn't seem the most natural to me. He has used a lot of interest in him over the years to get paid bigger and better <laughs> contracts at Oklahoma State, which if any of us were in Gundy's spot, it's maybe the same thing we would do. So... I don't say that as a negative, but it's 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 one of those guys. You know, we look at the Big Twelve and and see a bunch of people who could be potential fits for Nebraska, and and he's one who doesn't pop up probably often enough. When you really drill down to his record and what he's done there, uh, it's it's pretty tough to argue with in my mind. Brandon Vogel, uh, extra time, double overtime with the. Uh college football rules he went with us here a couple of segments at brandon l vogel on twitter it's where you follow him read him with hailvarsity.com and magazine and uh, the magazine the the issue that's in your mailbox or hopefully soon to be in your mailbox uh the what if game pretty awesome stuff hailvarsity.com backslash subscribe get the magazine get the digital coverage vogues uh, we'll check in with you a little bit later this weekend thanks for a few minutes today yeah, thanks. If it had been any longer, we would have had to start just going for two exclusively. <laughs> that could have got messy. You're like, get me out of here. I love it. Thanks, man. Appreciate you. There he is, Brandon Vogel with us on Hale Varsity Radio. We're presented by Currency. We'll wind down this first hour. Spend a few minutes with Bill Dolman, Jeremiah Searles on the backside here in hour two. It's just gorgeous weather here in eastern Nebraska. Hope you're enjoying And uh, back to to wind down, put a bow on this first hour next. And now. And now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. 
Thanks for hanging out. Hail Varsity, presented by Currency. For all your equipment financing needs, go Currency. What's your biggest what if with Nebraska football? Good stuff. We'll ask Bill Dolman that question. Elijah, do you have one? Am I, like, recently, my what if is what if Joe Gans could have played for Nebraska in 2009 at quarterback? He's your quarterback. You have that 2009 defense. Nebraska's knocking on a title. I agree. I, I agree. And I think just to even go smaller scale, what if they didn't put one second back on the clock for that game against Texas? That would have been really cool. If, if you win that game, what kind of momentum does, does that give your program? Does Bo end up getting fired in a, in a couple years later if, if you end up winning that game? Because then you win a conference title, and he's got that under his belt as being the only coach since 2000 to win a conference title. Are Husker fans as impatient with him whenever he can't get it done in the big game? If he does get it done in that big game and, and gets the job done, that's a, a big question in my mind. You don't have to necessarily bolt for the Big Ten either because you're conference champ. But maybe it doesn't completely change all dollars and cents, but at least you have a little bit more say over Texas, don't you? Sure. And, and the other place I go in, in a what if recently is what if Nebraska hires Brett Bielema instead of Scott Frost in, in 2018? You know, I think I think they went after the pig farmer instead of Riley, and they settled for Riley. I think I, of course, tried to go get Bielema. But then he was gettable after after you let Riley go. And I know Scott Frost was a sexy hire, and it was this, the, the, this, the hire that made sense to everybody, and everyone thought it was a home run. But what happens if you decide to go with the guy who knows the Big Ten, the guy who's got more experience there? What if you go hire Brett Bielema? Where is Nebraska at right now? And that's another big question in my mind because – that, that was kind of the, the name that people went to if, well, if it isn't Scott, if Scott ends up taking a bigger job at, say, Florida or wherever was open that, that cycle, does Brett Bielema become the next guy? That, that, that's a huge question, too. If, if, if Florida hires Frost, where, where does Nebraska end up going? Is it Bielema? That's, that's a big what if, too. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of hard to look back and, and say what if because the history is what it is. But that, that's where my mind goes in, in recent history. Mm-hmm. No, I think you're right. I think you're right with it. That's or, or or another another good one. If we just go simply last year, what if Nebraska beats Michigan State? Does that give them enough momentum to to not go three and nine last season? If if that punt goes the direction it's supposed to, you beat Michigan that State. That's a momentum building bounds. win. Well, yeah, you needed that. You needed that one. You needed uh, you needed a win at some point to to finally happen. Something tells me, though, that, that that season still would have gone similarly even if you beat Michigan State because there were, as we're hearing now, more problems behind the scenes than, than we even knew at the time. You would have maybe just prolonged the prom- problem. Does, does Nebraska, if they win that game, do they, end up, do they get to a bowl game last season? Does, does that prolong Scott by another year? But then I also don't see Nebraska not losing to Georgia Southern this season based on, on what they built. But does the transfer portal this offseason go differently if you make it to a bowl game last season? Yeah, it's, that's fair. There's, there's some good what-ifs out there, but... I don't know. It, it's hard to dwell on these things. I know, but go get the magazine. Go get the uh, the new issue of Hale Varsity, and it's uh, the sequel to their first What Ifs. And the the first issue was What If Tio would have left for Colorado in 1978 after the uh, the Blue Bonnet Bowl win against Texas Tech. The old buffs, Ugh. man. Nebraska would never, they would have cratered, potentially. Hour two coming up. Bill Dolman on the way. Searles also next hour with Hale Varsity.
your child has brain cancer. Can you imagine hearing those words about your own child? Nearly 5,000 families each year hear this life-changing diagnosis and live daily with the fear it brings. When a child is diagnosed with brain cancer, their lives are forever changed. The treatments used to treat children are toxic and cause damage to their developing bodies that can affect them for the rest of their lives. 95% of children who survive brain cancer will develop a significant health condition by the age of 45 as a direct result of the toxic treatments. This includes diagnosis of another cancer later in life or other countless deadly health problems. Our kids are special, and we need to treat them that way. By making a donation to the Team Jack Foundation, you fund research that leads to safer, more effective treatments giving kids hope. You can be the difference. You can fund the cure. Join us and donate today by visiting teamjackfoundation.org. Welcome to Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hale Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. Back with you, Tower 2 and Tail Bar City Radio. We are presented by Currency for all your equipment financing needs go. Currency, he is on the road again, headed to Willie Nelson country. We welcome in the pride of Fairbury, NBC Sports, the professor. Uh, he is so good, his dog is driving. Bill Dolman with us, at Bill Dolman on Twitter. Billy D, how's the roadie? Where are you? Uh, I'm still in God's country somewhere between uh, Lincoln and Denver, but uh, where I am exactly, uh, unsure. <laughs> You're taking the interstate, right? Have you hit the arch yet? I, I am on the interstate. Uh, Shaggy was driving for a while. He keeps it from the Macanudos, so uh, he, likes, he likes a good cigar. So when he drives, he can't smoke them. Well, you have that strict no-smoking policy, uh, right. and it's always enforced. Okay, we're going to play the game, the, the greatest what-ifs with Nebraska football. We started talking about it with no. Brandon. We no. started talking about it with, with Brandon Vogel, all right? And uh, listen, it's the, it's the issue that just got put in mailboxes with the magazine, and I said, Joe, you know, kind of recently, give me Joe Gaines at quarterback in 09. Uh, one, of the, one of the discussion points is Penn State 82 uh, in this uh, month's issue of Hale Varsity Magazine. Is there a, a Husker uh, what if that, that has plagued you or you've thought of? Well, yeah. I mean, what if I hadn't been so good as a sportscaster or I had been as good and decided I was going to become the, an athletic director? And what if I had become the athletic director of Nebraska, as was one of my career plans? Then Tom would be probably winding up his, what, 52nd year as Nebraska's head coach uh, this season? Or uh, Frank Solich would still be uh you know, finishing up his career as Nebraska's head coach, or we would not have made any of the mistakes that were caused by the four-year case of the flu back in the uh, early 2000s. We never would have endured the last 20 years had I been the athletic director. But that's, you know, one of those what-ifs. <laughs> tell, tell me, Bill, what, what would your game plan have been to keep Tom Osborne from retiring? 
Well, considering the guy made like a buck fifty when he retired, and uh, Skip Neuheisel was making about one point five million, uh, I probably would have made Tom's salary uh, more comparable to the guy whose ass he kicked every time they met. <laughs> you know how much? You know, one, you know how I much? One point five. How many? How many acoustic guitars and and turtlenecks? One point five million can buy in Boulder. I mean, you you think about. The coaches that you know were making a million dollars a year twenty five years ago, and one of the greatest coaches in the history of college football was making ten percent of that in coach's salary. I know he did okay with some things on the side, but he also you know split up some of his uh, his earnings or his side hustles with like radio and whatnot with with other people. I mean, it's just remarkable what coaches' salaries were back then. And I'm sure that, you know, Tom was compensated, you know, well at, at times. But when Neuheisel was making a million dollars and Tom wasn't close to that, uh, I, I think you would, you know, reward him quite substantially for what he did for Nebraska football, Nebraska athletics, the University of Nebraska, and the state as a whole. Uh, I, I think we would have made sure he was well compensated to stay as long as he wanted. Bill Dolman's with us, Hale Varsity Radio, Billy D on the road. So, but you know, clearly, clearly, you know, in all seriousness, you can you can look at you know what if you know they they had made the call at Penn State. What what if Ken Calhoun or Nebraska runs an option instead of throwing for the two point conversion? You know, what if they don't hire Devaney? But you know, given where we are right now, what if you know they don't hire? Steve Peterson back in whatever year that was. I mean, that has been the biggest, you know, tragedy, you know, what if of, of all time. Get Doc's time machine ready. Steve tweets in, what if Nebraska would have hired Kyle Whittingham instead of X, Y, and Z when Urban said no in 04? Hey, what about Kyle Whittingham? He'd have looked, uh, good. He'd have looked good wearing red. Do we, do we know who said yes and who said no? Back whenever, I mean, we know that that when you know Frank got fired and Bill Callahan got hired, there, there was no plan A, B, or C. No, no one, no one wanted Callahan to take the hired. phone call. No one wanted to take the phone call of somebody who just got from the guy that just think, fired a ten-win coach. I think I think that you know the, the closest he came to anybody to Al Saunders. You know, it's been well chronicled that you know Al Saunders, the Kansas City uh, Chiefs assistant was going to take the job, and he has said so, I think, in The Athletic, in Mitch Sherman's article. Uh, but that was well known at the time. And then, you know, the Houston nut fiasco. Uh, but other than that, I, I, I don't think there, there was no plan. And Bill Callahan certainly was on any list until, you know, somebody whispered it in, in Steve Peterson's ear that he got fired. That was, that was not on the radar at all. So, you know, what if, what if, what if. But... Um, you know, people keep bringing up Kyle Whittingham's name. You know, I would be—I'd be shocked if he ever left Utah. I would be shocked if he—if it ever even crosses his mind. Mm-hmm. You know, I think he is so dialed in to the job that he has and what he's done, and they will name the field or the stadium after him when he decides to retire. He's a young sixty. Three, maybe four. Three. Well, they're going to name the uh, the the biker bar after him. He looks like a he could rock a leather vest, you know. Um, how about these names? We've kind of thrown out a couple. You've got some smoke around Lane Kiffin uh, from Twitter and and uh, Flight Tracer, and then also Gundy. What do you think of those two names? 
If either one of them coached more than one game in the last decade above, and I don't mean this in any other way, the Mason-Dixon line? <laughs> no. I mean, seriously, has, has Lane Kiffin coached a game in the North at Michigan, at Penn State, at Michigan State, at Syracuse inside, at Ohio? I don't no. know the last time Lane Kiffin, a California guy, Florida guy, Mississippi guy, Tennessee, I think, is as far north as he has spent any significant amount of time. Oakland. So why why would he why would he, you know, be all of a sudden? I'm all in on Nebraska because Dad is from here. Dad played here. Dad coached here. Maybe, but if everybody's you know everybody talks about you've got to have Big Ten ties. You got to have Big Ten ties. You got to have Big Ten ties. Well, if you're going to hire Lane Kiffin, then you might as well keep the guy who's already in the office and just you know hire Mickey. Mm-hmm. Um, and as for as for Mike Gundy, you know, kind of the same thing as uh, as Kyle Whittingham. Although you know Mike Gundy has certainly played the agent new contract card maybe better than anybody over the last uh, ten or fifteen years. Because whenever a job is open, his name comes up, and the next thing you know, he's got extensions and more zeros on his check at Oklahoma State. I, I would really be surprised if he ever left. Um, maybe he wants one more challenge, but again, he's got a ton of Texas ties, but what ties does he have in any way, shape, or form other than his former defensive coordinator is now at Ohio State. I don't see why he would leave there to come to Nebraska, although it's God's country. I get that. But uh, and I have nothing against Mike Gundy. I just don't understand the, the regional connection to, that he or Lane Kiffin would feel uh, that it would be a good fit for them. Bill Dolan with us here on Hale Varsity Radio. And, Bill, I'm going to ask you to keep that AD hat on for me for just a second and I'm going to ask you this one here. If you're Trev Alberts and you're making a secret meeting with a coach, such as Lane Kiffin or Mike Gundy or Kyle Whittingham, where are you meeting them so the media doesn't find out, the fans don't find out? Uh, 50-yard line at Folsom Field in Boulder. Ah, I called it. it. I called it. it. It's like we're going to ask Bill this question, and Bill's going to absolutely jump off the top rope with two steel chairs and hammer Colorado. Look, I'm going going to the land where football forgot uh, on this off week. You could have Trev Alberts meeting with Mike Shanahan on the 50-yard line at Folsom Field, and people would be looking at them like Cheech and Chong through a smoke-filled cab of Volkswagen van. I mean, they would go, what? Who are those guys? He's still moving, man. (laughs) Right. So... Uh, yeah, that would be one. You can't go to you can't go to Fairbury because the paparazzi. You're going to get found out, uh, you know, in the at the center of the universe. But uh, I, I'm sure that they could find plenty of places to have uh, meetings. But you know, are we are we trailing planes again? Is that the deal? Is that the 40-day mark now? So we got to start tracking planes. Check out Twitter, and there's been some. Some fine artwork done with Lane wearing Nebraska gear. Okay. <laughs> he might be wearing it and trolling people, you know? Oh, he, he did. Yeah, he, he, he quote tweeted uh, uh, some Nebraska fans who had Ole Miss stuff on for the CWS, right? Mm-hmm. Five mm-hmm. days ago? There's you know, a- I, but this all goes back to, you know, the, the, the kind of relationship that Trev Alberts is going to have with the head coach. And... You know, Lane Kiffin is proving to be a more mature coach. Um, you know, I think his time in Alabama served him well. He still, you know, does you know grab your popcorn and gets beat, you know, forty-two to seven by Alabama last year. 
and you know does some things that, that show a little immaturity. But you know he's he's a good quote guy. He's a good social media guy. But is that what Trev Alberts wants when he meets with him? You know across the table on Sundays and Mondays. And I'm I'm not exactly sure. And you know. Anybody who is going to try and speculate who the guy is going to be has to know the athletic director. And I just don't see Trev wanting to bring – and it's not that he's a sideshow. You know, he's not the, the sideshow that Mike Leach is in a fun-loving way. And I think maybe Lane kind of falls into that in, in, a, in a little bit. But uh, I just don't think that that's something that Trev wants. He wants somebody that's more uh, closely tied to his personality and his passion for Nebraska. And, you know, I, I really think that – you know, Mickey is the kind of guy that, that that Trev enjoys working with. Lance Leipold would be, in, you know, in that category. And there are other coaches that are out there, but I just don't think that, that Trev wants somebody that, whose personality is going to overshadow the program. Bill, a thought on the metrics discussion, and, and Trev hit that head on, but Scott needed the uh, the metrics in writing. What's your reaction? Well, I, I, I think, boy, a lot was really made out of that. And, you know, if you're Nebraska, and based on what we've seen so far on that, it would have been, I think, innocent enough to put that out there and say, here they are, with the, with the asterisk that, okay, you've got to win six games, you've got to get to a bowl game, and don't suck. And I think that, well, who knows if they would have won six, who knows if they would have gone to a bowl game, but I think based on what we saw the first, you know, a few games of the season, they were trending toward not good. And if that's if that's the you know that metric was bigger than the other two, obviously it was. Then I don't think you really needed to have it on paper or hide behind it. They could have just said, "This is what it is. Didn't work. See ya." And here's you know here's the check. But I, I don't think it was that big of a deal at all, and a lot of time wasted with the FOIA. Well, the incremental progress weight was the heaviest weight uh, beyond the six beyond the bowl game. It was, you know, it wasn't incremental progress. It was, you know, really kind of steps backward. And and I think Trev just, you know, read the room of 90,000 people. And, you know, people in Nebraska can, you know, they know what they were watching. And, you know, they know what they were being told. And it was obvious. It would, it would have been obvious if they'd won six games and gone to a bowl game that this was a really unsatisfying uh, season. And even though, you know, things haven't gone, you know, 100% since the firing, I think people feel like there's a little more solid ground in the Nebraska program. And people are writing about the difference between Nebraska and Wisconsin right now. That, you know, Nebraska seems to be steady uh, with Bill Bush and Mickey Joseph. And, and you know, you compare this to however many, you know, years ago when, when we were tracking planes again, I mean, Nebraska fans and the whole thing was just a total disaster and chaotic. And we're 40 days into this, and for the most part, I think people have a steadiness and a trust in what's taking place. And I think people are really behind Mickey Joseph at this point. But you don't have near the feeling now that you had back when, when Frank got fired and Steve didn't know what he was doing. Mm. Bill Dolman with us, the pride of Fairbury, NBC Sports, the professor is uh, headed back to gummy land uh, and uh, <laughs> will uh, we'll be back with us uh, via stream next week as we get ready for Illinois and the Pig Farmer. Billy D., we want to say uh, drive safe, uh, be well, uh, tell Shaggy to make sure his, his uh, Macanudo gets put out as you uh, drive along western Nebraska. And yeah, he's good about that. 
Yeah, well, yeah, you mean, you know, and Smokey Bear, right? So make sure you do it. But uh, thanks for giving us a few minutes and uh, taking us along for the ride. Yep, I am getting close to Colorado, so that means, uh, you know, peace out, brah. <laughs> there he is, Bill Dolman's hitting the border. Uh, Bill, take care. Appreciate you. Good stuff. See you. Good stuff from Bill Dolman. No prediction to give us. They're always entertaining. We didn't want to quite go for a second time in Nebraska. How would they fare against the bye week? It's always interesting. We should probably bring up why we have Bill on a Thursday this week. Yeah, we uh, we are going to do a hybrid show tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is code for you're going to hear some current segments tomorrow on Hale Varsity Radio, and you're going to hear some best of segments tomorrow that uh, will include Mike Leach, probably some Charlie McBride, probably some Jeremiah Searles, uh, maybe uh, some of the great Huskers from Day by Day when that was released in May. So that's, uh, that's we're going to swing the clubs tomorrow and do a half day. Say less. Huh? Say less. That sounds lovely. Yeah, it's fantastic. The over-under on more golf balls lost or shots of Jaeger from Elijah. He's thinking about it. They're holding still about it. It's it's a one-to-one ratio. One per hole. Like what you hear? High-quality radio and podcasts are just part of what we do at Hale Varsity. I'm Brandon Vogel, Managing Editor. I wanted to offer listeners of the Hale Varsity Radio Show podcast $10 off the price of an annual subscription. That means that you can get everything we do, 10 issues of our monthly magazine, our annual football yearbook, and all of the premium content we produce at HaleVarsity.com. Just go to HaleVarsity.com slash subscribe and enter the promo code GBR for $10 off a full year of Hale Varsity. That's HaleVarsity.com slash subscribe, promo code GBR. He's in his 30s, but sounds like he was born with a stogie in one hand and a brew in the other. Now, say my name. It's Schmitty on Hail Varsity Radio. I got the body of a taut, preteen Swedish boy. Back into it, it's Hail Varsity Radio. We're presented by Currency, our favorite Husker and NFL offensive lineman. He has got his... Well, I'll call him serial killer glasses on. <laughs> Jeremiah Searles with us at Searles71 underscore HSKR on Twitter. Uh, he is in the revamped studio slash Husker room. Searles, good to see you. Always good to be back. You know, I just, I've been watching the Dahmer series for you to just get real dark in here with the glasses. Uh, too far? Too far. Yeah, probably too far. If he's, if Searles cracks a butt heavy, we know it's on. <laughs> hey, he yeah. puts, a, puts a pork chop on the stovetop. <laughs> wow. Oh, I love where this is going. Yeah, let's, let's just go to football. Let's just, let's, let's just, let's talk football. Easy transition. <laughs> yeah, somehow, right? Pigs, pigskin, right? Uh, so, so. Nebraska has got their bye week. We'll get into some coaching carousel. We'll dive into the uh, the offensive and defensive line. And Cyril's, I want to start with the offensive and defensive line and the topic of of development and from process of scouting to recruitment to signing to all right, you're in the program. You've lived it. And you've also seen it on the other end now as, as an NFL agent where guys that have been developed have that shot to keep playing and continue, continue their career. And 
as a Nebraska lineman when we talk development. Uh, give us your um, your thoughts on just where and why things are how they are on on both lines. Yeah, you know, it's it's weird for me because I struggle back and forth because I have a lot of respect for Coach Austin and what Greg Austin did um, and how he developed players. Now, what I really struggle with is you look at our starters, right? And you look and be like, man, they're just not getting it done. Well, usually when that's the case, you have a young, hungry O-lineman behind them that can do things and push them and make things happen. But the scary thing is there's none of that behind this starting, I'd call it seven guys, right? You throw Bando in the mix, you throw Lutovsky in the mix, and then you have Ben Hart. And those seven, I think, are like the seven guys that you could quote unquote trust out there. And behind that is just a nightmare. And so when you talk development and you talk about what it takes to develop offensive linemen, well, it starts with recruiting guys that you feel have a ceiling or are not hit their ceiling. You know, a lot, sometimes you get high school kids in there that have maybe hit their ceiling development wise. And that's where you kind of find the five star guys. And the thing that really surprised me, I remember we were doing the, the signing day show over on the Husker radio show last year. And I was like, where are the old linemen? And they're like, oh, yeah, we didn't sign one. It's like, oh, okay, that makes sense. You know, like that can't happen anymore. And so we have to continue to develop them because the way that a successful program runs is, yeah, every now and then you run into the few guys that are playing ready day one, right? And those are the freak shows that you run into every now and then. But for the offensive and defensive line specifically, you need at least a year, if not two, to really develop, to have a chance to go out there and not just tread water and keep your keep your head above water, but to actually contribute in a big way that helps your team win. And we just haven't had that. You know, we haven't had the opportunity to have the older guys, but really it comes back to doing it in the weight room and doing it on the practice field. When you just don't have those guys, you have to force guys in there early. You've touched on that guys haven't had a chance to develop in some instances because of position flops. I think you could look at the COVID year where your spring was shut down and it was stop and start for the abbreviated COVID season in 2020. Mm -hmm. So whoever is the next head coach, how do you bridge? You still have time to work with what you got and those guys were recruited by a lot of schools so they can get better but they got to be able to settle in get comfortable and then just work 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 on on their craft and but you're going to need a bridge because eventually those guys are going to graduate and are you back to square one with with young pups again do you go juco do you go portal how do you tackle that Yeah, it's a tough thing, you know, and I feel for these kids. And I know sometimes I'm hard on them because, you know, I expect a lot out of Nebraska offensive lines. It was what was expected when I came here, and it's kind of what everyone expects out of them. But when you really think about it, you know, they were recruited under Scott Frost's offense, and then it kind of got morphed a little bit last year um, into Whipple's off this year into Whipple's offense. And so you're talking about you had a young crew – And then it's just kind of had to morph and then you have a new coach. And so there's a lot of pieces that go into it. But the one thing you can always control as an offensive lineman is getting bigger, faster, stronger. And I think that's where you have to go as a as a new coach that comes in here is like, we just need to get our offensive linemen bigger, faster, stronger. Cause right now too many times I'm seeing guys getting pushed around or holes, not getting opened up. And so that's where you start. Now, as far as how you fix the problem, I think that with the transfer portal and how well we used it last year for every other position besides offensive line, 
weird. You got to go after the portal. You got to go after the portal and find some guys that are playing ready now because we don't have time as a new coach, even with a new coach, we don't have time to start over, especially when we have some of the talent that we have on offense that weapons wise, we have to put some guys in front of Casey Thompson that can back there so that he has the opportunity. So you got to hit portal right away, but you also have to start recruiting. You got to start recruiting and have a vision. You have to have a vision for what kids you want based off the scheme of what your offense is. And that'll all come with whatever coach gets here and what they want. But you have to have a vision starting from when these kids are 17, 18 to where you can see them to where they're 22, 23 and how they come into the program, develop in the weight room, develop through practices, and then eventually get out on the field and contribute. That's the blueprint that everyone has used and every successful program uses. The problem is when you're not a successful program, you have to recruit kids and say, you'll play right away. And then they do. And that really hampers development. Jeremiah Searles is with us here on Hale Varsity Radio. And Searles, you mentioned that the transfer portal is an aspect that can be used to, to remedy this. But my question to you is what draws there for an offensive lineman to come to Nebraska in the portal? Simply because if you're a proven offensive lineman at the Division One level, I mean, that's a commodity to have. And if, if you enter your name into the transfer portal, everyone is going to be trying to recruit you. So, so what is the draw to, to, to come to a place like Nebraska where you can look at the offensive lines and see – I mean, for the most part, the starting five, they haven't gotten better during their time here at Nebraska. So what's the draw to come here? I think the draw is, you know, you hope that you find the diamond in the rough that was buried in the depth chart at a SEC school or at a Michigan or a school that's got really good high notch starters. Right. And maybe this kid has got two or three years of eligibility left. And if I'm a guy that enters a transfer portal, first of all, I'm not a portal fan. I think I've got on my soapbox mm-hmm. plenty on this show about that. However, it's a necessary evil. If I'm in the portal and I'm looking, where do I want to go? I want to go somewhere that I know I'm going to start, you know? And so if you look at Nebraska and you go, okay, left tackle eh, left guard eh, center, eh, and you do that all the way across the board, you're like, I could come here and compete for a starting spot right away. You know, the last thing you want to do in a transfer is go somewhere where you're going to be like, yeah, I'll compete for a backup. Maybe I'll be a starter. Like you come here and that's the recruit pitch here is like, if you can come here and make us better right away, you're a day one starter. So that's what you got to look for in the transfer portal is guys that have maybe some playing experience. They've been a spot starter for two, two or three games, six games, whatever it may be. And they're ready to take that jump as a starter. And you think that they're better than what you have now. You tell them you come in, you're going to compete for a starting job off the rip. Okay, uh, the name that's got a lot of smoke around it today, Lane Kiffin. Lane, Lane Kiffin. Uh, No, that's no, I can't. I can't handle the circus that follows Lane Kiffin. He's not he's not the ringmaster anymore. He's grown up, Searles. I'm just playing. I'm playing. Well, from my experiences down in Oxford and from the people I know down in Oxford, the man still likes to party with the college kids. Okay, I know people young at heart. I know people that played under him. I know people that have been around on staff with him. I'm sure he's a really good football coach. But Mm -hmm. if I'm Trev Alberts and I'm looking at how do we right the ship that has just been sunk and burned and battled and thrown (laughs) around again, I'm not sure Lane Kiffin's the guy that I'm like, hey, you resurrect this. I I just I can't see him coming in here and putting his cape on and and riding the already circus that has been Nebraska football for the last five years. And I'm, I'm with Searles here. It's when you look at the past five years. Lane Kiffin is is just it, it, he, he's a great football coach. As Cyril said, it's just not the right culture fit for where Nebraska is at right now. And he's in, in the circus we already saw for the past five years. He's an erratic person. And if there's one thing Nebraska doesn't need right now, it's more just off the cuff. Like we need stable, we need trustworthy, and we need someone that's going to be here for the long haul. If you look at Lane's last track record, he doesn't like to stick around for either good reasons or bad reasons. He kind of gets ushered out of there rather quickly. 
He is stable. How long has he been at Ole Miss? Are we talking six years now? Four, I think. Four. Four. It feels like yeah. forever. Yeah, but I mean, he just—he's not a guy that you see as a long-term solution, which is what I think Nebraska needs right now. So, who's the horse leading the race for you, Bill O'Brien? Okay, I like Bill O'Brien for a majority of reasons. Number one is he's got—he's got the NFL experience, he's got the head coaching experience in the NFL or in the college level, he's got the offensive coordinator, he's done it all. You know, he's done it all. And I know guys that played under him in the NFL for the Texans. And you talk a guy that's no nonsense. He show up and people hated him or loved him for it. But I think we need a little bit of that in Nebraska football right now. You know, I think with a swing that we took the pendulum from Bo Pelini to Mike Riley and then kind of back with Scott, it's it's been this kind of like, hey, man, it's cool. We're all friends. Like, I think we need someone that's going to come in here and crack the whip a little bit. You know, someone that's like, no, like I said, the program is not where it needs to be and it hasn't been where it needs to be. And I'm the guy that's going to come in with a vision and lay it there at Trev Albert's feet and say, this is what it needs to look like. And if you don't like it, get out of the way because that's the way it's going. And Trev, I know it's going to give a guy that kind of power because I think he has trust in the people that he hires to give them that kind of power and give them that kind of reign on the program. I like Bill O'Brien for all of those reasons, but also he's a damn good football coach. Look at what Alabama's doing offensively. Look at what he did in the NFL. Like he has proven himself at every level in between the white lines and off the field. So with as much talk as there's been around Mickey Joseph and a lot of people seem to think that whoever the next coach is going to be, there's going to be a strong argument to keep Mickey around. And, and for that reason, do you think Trev Albert should be consulting with Mickey in this process as he goes and looks for a head coach? Maybe not early, but once you got a list of three or five, do you think you go get Mickey Joseph's opinion and say, hey, Mickey, what do you think? Or, or because he's the interim and because he's also in the running, do you think you keep him out of this? It's, it's, it's hard to say. You know, those are going to be conversations that Trev and Mickey have to have. I do. I would love if Mickey Joseph didn't have to go anywhere. You know, I think he's a great fit here at Nebraska. I think he's a phenomenal recruiter. I think he checks a lot of boxes for how the team loves him and how much he just cares. And you see how hard he coaches and I'm not taking him out of the running for this. It's just, again, it goes back to the reasons we said Lane Kiffin wasn't the right guy. It was not because I don't think Mickey Joseph is the right guy. You know, I think Mickey Joseph is not the right guy at this moment in time, just based off of the, the immaturity of the head coaching position. Now you could flip it other way and say, yeah, but he's young and he's new and he's going to bring all this fun stuff to it. And I might just be an old curmudgeon now that I'm 31 years old and want the old head. But I think that Mickey is a great guy to have on staff and he's proven that he's a great guy to have on staff. And if I'm a head coach that comes in here it's good to keep some people around that understand what this place is because nebraska is so different than anywhere else in the country you know so it's good to keep good people around and not just come in and just scorch earth the entire staff and start over well you've got a couple of guys on staff and bush and and mickey that that get it and they've been here and you know how unique it is jeremiah searles with us uh, at Searles71 underscore HSKR. Searles will do this again, brother. Thanks for a few minutes, and go get Bambi this weekend. Hey, that's the plan. Cody Green shot a big one this week, so it's my turn. And now. And now. Back to Hale Varsity Radio. Back with you, Tail Varsity Radio, presented by Currency. We welcome in Danny Burke with Vison Sports Network at Danny Burke Five on Twitter. The Danny Burke Podcast. Catch him weekends with Vison. All of your NFL and college football needs. Pride of Chicago, a busy slate in college football. We're going to stay and start though in the Big Ten. Yeah, potentially a couple of knockout games. Wisconsin at home. 
barely a favorite over Purdue. And Purdue right now uh, looking ahead maybe to a showdown with Illinois. Uh, Illinois is off this weekend, but we'll start with Whiskey, uh, minus two and a half. What do you think of that matchup there at Camp Randall? Well, I'm uh, I'm interested in this matchup because Wisconsin has been the most entertaining team to me this year and just cracking up at how bad they've been. So I, I was telling you guys last week, and this will be the last time I repeat it, but my favorite bet that I think I've ever made in college football history was Wisconsin under nine wins. We are already there at this point of the season. It's just so hysterical to me that they were the short shot with Graham Mertz as your quarterback in a fairly difficult schedule. I, I, it was just so funny to me. So I already cashed that in. I'm feeling great. Um, as for this game, I, I'm curious your guys' thoughts, too. But, you know, you look at the spread, and I get why the market is shifting a little bit toward Wisconsin after they fired uh, their head coach and why they stomped on Northwestern. Again, Northwestern wasn't going to be a good team. But you figured against Sparty that Michigan State would at least cover and keep it close. That was my inclination with that game. And, look, they got a huge overtime win. But you get a Purdue squad here that has honestly been a little frustrating in the sense of barely getting past Maryland, uh, winning in, I guess you could say, somewhat of a sloppy fashion against Nebraska. I, you know, I think you could argue that Nebraska easily could have just won that game as much as they would have lost it if time management and other things would have been a little bit better. But in this game, I want to take Purdue, right? Purdue seems like it would be the right side. I still want to put more stock in Naden O'Connell and this Purdue offense than I do Wisconsin. But Purdue on the road – their offense hasn't been as great, I guess you could say. I mean, we saw them lose to Syracuse on the road. Uh, we saw them beat Minnesota, but Minnesota's looks like a really rough team up to this point right now. But I'm leaning toward Purdue, fellas. No thoughts with this total. Maybe a lean under if you think that, you know, Wisconsin's offense is bad enough to get limited by Purdue's defense. And conversely, that Wisconsin's defense is still going to show up. So I guess I would lean under, but I certainly would lean with the Boilermakers. What are you guys thinking here, though? Purdue just finds a way. I think they, yeah, their, their offense is is different and, and good. They've probably got the best quarterback in the West. Uh, so there's that. I mean, that's not probably they they do, and mm-hmm. I think they'll stress Wisconsin. I also like the under fifty one and a half. I think it'll be lower yeah. scoring. Very fair. Very fair. Uh, Minnesota is. Uh, getting four points, that's another elimination game. Uh, the Gophs have really struggled in Penn State. You know, how are they going to be? They got racked. They got ran for 400 yards on by, by Michigan, and here comes Minnesota and their O-line. That's the other game I'm, I'm interested in. But this game, to me, totally seems like, all right, this is where Penn State takes a, a bad turn, uh, and Minnesota may surprise you. So I I get that thought process in this game. The only thing that would concern me, Schmitty, is that we've seen Minnesota look bad the last two consecutive weeks. Penn State is really just, I mean, they got stopped on, don't get me wrong, the offense was terrible against Michigan last week. But, you know, aside from that, they've been fine, right? They haven't had the toughest of schedule. But I still look at that matchup at Auburn, and whatever you think of Auburn, that's still a tough game to win. And not only did they do that, they won 41-12. to So I I see that Michigan game as Penn State's first real test, and that was a huge one to Michigan after they had been sloppy so much this season. And I, of course, didn't imagine they'd stomp them. I I took the points with Penn State, so that was embarrassing. But I just, after last week against Illinois, I'm looking at this Minnesota team and P.J. Fleck, and I'm like, how can I trust this team anymore? Mm -hmm. So I get because the spread's over the key number of three that you would maybe gravitate toward taking it. 
But I feel like Penn State pulls this one out. They can still salvage everything in their season right now. And I know that Minnesota's only have two losses, but two of them have come against Big Ten opponents. So, and, you know, one of them was Illinois and then the other, Purdue, who are going to be ahead of you in your division. I don't know. I, I'm kind of leaning toward Penn State. We'll see where this line ends up or if I could get a better price on the money line. But I feel like the Nittany Lions can take care of business in this game. Danny Burke is with us here on Hale Varsity Radio. And, Danny, let's move to this weekend's NFL slate of action. And before we get to another enthralling Thursday night matchup featuring sub-500 teams, I want you to talk me through something real quick. I saw a stat over the weekend that over 60% of NFL games this season have hit the under. And I want to figure out what's going on in Vegas. Is this something where the totals are going to start slipping over the next couple weeks and that's going to right itself? Or should I be looking towards the under on NFL games this weekend? Well, what's really been happening, too, is especially the primetime games have gone under. But if you also realize how ugly these matchups have been, I guess it makes sense why there hasn't been that much scoring. Uh, People are a little taken aback because you know all these rules are getting adjusted to pertain to the offense and benefit the quarterbacks and all the pass interferences. You would think there would be more points because of that, but as you alluded to, that hasn't necessarily been the case. I just kind of wonder if it's more of a such a top-heavy league right now and you only get like a finite amount of teams like the Eagles, like the Bills, like the Chiefs who are going to pound on some points because even a team who used to do that like Green Bay isn't doing that right now. Denver's offense, as you know, has been god-awful. I mean, the Raiders can put on points, and you look at the Detroit Lions, I mean, defensively they're allowing a lot. The Ravens, can, so again, there's like a finite amount of teams who can help you contribute to an over. The other teams are going to play you tightly. It's going to be a slow type of methodical game, and that's why I think you're seeing a lot of unders. And I'm not even going to lie. I mean, this week there's a lot of good under opportunities, but as you were also kind of hinting at, it feels like the numbers have caught up to where it's not really worth an official play, more of a you know what you like in this spot, let's see if something unforeseen happens, like a lot of points right away, and then try to attack it in-game with a better bet on the on, on a higher total and then look at it under Danny two games I want your take on first let's start on Sunday Chiefs and 49ers the Chiefs are a two and a half point favorite and well once you get through that let's go Saints Cardinals Cardinals are a two and a half point favorite tonight we got about 90 seconds sure thing yeah San Francisco is getting somewhat of not like a lot of sharp attention but the more people I've listened to the more they like San Francisco here I would tease up the 49ers from plus 2.5 to plus 8.5 if I was on the side of, of San Francisco. The main thing there is you've got to check their injury report. They were incredibly banged up last week, and that was a big reason why they lost to Atlanta. Also, we've got to start giving Atlanta a lot more credit. But this is a revenge Super Bowl spot for the 49ers as well, so it wouldn't shock me to see if they could keep it close. They're experts in the ground attack, and if they get their offensive line healthy, Kansas City's run defense has been poor the last two weeks, so I think it could be kept close in that regard. At the end of the day, I just don't know if I want to bet against Patrick Mahomes when he's only laying two and a half. So I'm not doing anything with the side, but I would probably actually gravitate toward the, the, the under. I mean, it's moved up from 47 and a half to 48 and a half. But if San Francisco is going to instill that run game, that'll wind the clock down. San Francisco's defense can limit Kansas City enough. I just don't feel like it's going to be higher scoring. So getting over 48, I think it's a viable play to the under. As for tonight, as gross as it is the way my co-host and I described it, the lesser of two evils. I think it resides with the Arizona Cardinals. Look, you're still missing Michael Thomas, Jarvis Landry, Marshawn Lattimore, and some other names for the Saints. Short week for New Orleans after kind of a big blow of a loss at home against the Bengals. Arizona 
absolutely has to win this game. Otherwise, Cliff Kingsbury should be fired. He should have been fired weeks ago. Let's, he shouldn't have been the coach this year. But Arizona is a more talented team. You got DeAndre Hopkins coming back, the better quarterback in Kyler Murray. And an Arizona defense that's actually been a little bit underrated. So I laid minus a buck 25 with the Cardinals on the money line. I'm not expecting it to be pretty, but I am expecting the Cardinals to end up on top. Danny Burke from V's. And Danny, have a good weekend. Thanks for the time. Thank you, fellas. Enjoy the course. Miss us? Come here, brother. Give me a hug. Bring it in for the real thing. We're on call for you. Catch the podcast at HailVarsity.com, the ESPN Lincoln app, or download them on iTunes. Saddle up, partner. Back to Hail Varsity Radio. So I'm watching Twitter right now. Is Lane Kiffin training a second dog? If so, is Juice happy about that? Why is this dog wearing a red bandana? Oh, no, you're going too deep. Oh, you've gone too deep. <laughs> I, I have. Uh, really appreciate the feedback. Steve's not a Bill O'Brien guy. And Bill O'Brien is going to get a college gig if he wants it, or he's going to hang on if he can take it with Saban and then get another NFL job. Well, he, I know he said last offseason in relation to some, some job speculation around him, and obviously you, you don't want to make your employer unhappy. He said he wanted to fulfill his contract at Bama because he appreciated Nick Saban kind of taking a chance on him, giving a chance mm-hmm. to get back in the college game, and said he, he wanted to fulfill his full two-year contract that he, that he signed at Alabama. But there was rumors out there that, that both the Jaguars and the Patriots talked to him last offseason. The Jaguars for a head, their head coaching vacancy mm-hmm. and the Patriots for their OC vacancy when McDaniels left and went to the Raiders. And both, both programs, or both franchises, I guess I should say, ended up going in different directions. And he returned back to Bama. The question this offseason, I think, becomes, is he still going to be holding out for an NFL job? Is, is that still where his heart lies in the NFL? Or, or is he ready to, to come back into college football and be a head coach at the, the college level. And, and that's why I think the question is surrounding Bill O'Brien, because if he wants a head coaching gig, I think he's got to be a, at least in your short list, if you're Trev Alberts, with time. his accomplishments and what he already accomplished at Penn State under tough circumstances. Well, and, and you know, they uh, they crossed paths when Trev was in Atlanta and, and Bill was at Georgia Tech. I mean, Bill O'Brien will do what he wants. He's either your cup of tea or not, per Searles, with knowing guys who played for him. And uh, he's no nonsense. He's old school. He's Big Ten. It wouldn't be the worst idea if you don't like what Mickey's doing. But what what I like is that he's adapted his offense from that that Penn State NFL type system he was running. And yeah, his NASCAR his offense. Yeah, he took took uh, with him from New England to, to Penn State, four wide and a single back. Yeah, and and it worked there. But he's he's amended it now that he's gone to Bama, where he's, I mean, gone with that that more. Co- modern college offense and he's been able to to emphasize the strengths of his playmakers and obviously when you have he's got dudes when you have playmakers like you have at bama it shouldn't be that difficult to get them involved in the offense but it's not like he's a guy who's set on one system he's that, that's what's impressed me is his offense hasn't always been perfect at bama but he has amended his offense to, to bring out the strengths of his playmakers and i mean almost 500 yards of offense a game last season i think speaks for itself and it's not like the offense has been the problem this year and their uh their loss to tennessee and a couple of their other close games it hasn't been the offense's fault All right, get yourself some Red Zone tickets selling fun since 2001. Be sure to log on. Do you want Husker seats, football or volleyball? How about Creighton basketball this season? College World Series concert, theater. It's all there for you with Red Zone tickets. They are local. They are out of Omaha, and uh, their rating is impeccable. An A-plus Better Business Bureau rating, 100% guarantee on all orders, 
and cross that item off your bucket list. Create the memories that last a lifetime. RedZoneTickets.com. Hail Varsity Radio, presented by Currency for all your equipment financing needs. Go Currency. Check out tomorrow a, a hybrid show for you, some best of, and, of course, some segments with uh, Hail Varsity's finest. Uh, good stuff from Brandon Vogel today. Big thanks to Jeremiah Searles and Bill Dolman. Weekend edition back with you at 7 a.m. locally in Lincoln on uh, ESPN Lincoln. Check the podcast, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, and the Hale Varsity YouTube channel. Have a good one. A Huda Media Production.